You can go ahead and have a seat. Let me add to the welcome. Hopefully, all of you have already gotten today. Welcome. My name is Dwight, and I have the opportunity to uh, work here at the church and excited to close our series off. I want you to think about something in your life that's been very significant to you, and it's something that maybe you have tried to get others to try it or do it or join it. It might be this crazy app that has changed your life and you want everybody's life to change from using it, or maybe it's some uh, exercise program or gym that you've been going to and you're like, man, you, I've never felt better in my life, you need to try this, or maybe it's this uh, sleeping aid that you're waking up and feel like you can run a marathon every day and you just want people to try it. But I want to take it a step further, and I want you to think about something, even maybe those things, and it's not so much that people don't try it, it's that you try to get them, but they're just okay with where they're at. So you talk to them about maybe this app that's changed your life, and they're like, listen, uh, the one I'm using's fine, or uh, the, I, I, I'm, you know, I walk up and down the stairs in my... Uh, dorm and that gives me plenty of exercise or I sleep just fine. This is one of the challenges my wife and I have had over all our years of marriage. I told, I, I always kid Bonnie that she's the good enough queen. And I'll say, hey, uh, we could do this and, and it would save you five hours every week. And it's sort of like, she doesn't say good enough, but it's always like, no, no, I'm I'm happy with the way I'm spending those five hours. I don't need anything uh, different. In many ways, I've thought about that today. That there's something that is deeply, deeply significant to me. It's something that I value that has changed my life and, and I just want it so desperately for people. And today what I'm going to try to do is sort of walk you into this journey I have been on and something I've discovered that I want to, as we finish off this series on habits, invite you in to consider this as a habit. We've been talking about habits because we recognize that uh, all of us start, usually most of us, I should say, start the year trying to think of to ourselves, okay, this is where I'm at now, great time beginning of the year to think about where do I want to be at the end of this year? And so we understand the phrases like, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. I think about the phrase, I've used this in athletics uh, always as a coach, the definition of insanity, you've probably heard it, is about doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. That's probably the phrase I've used most uh, when I coached golf. Is it's like you're doing the same thing over and over again, and you, you wonder why you're not getting any better. Or I might, uh, kind of goes to what I said before, I remember one guy, his, his grip was just awful, so I, I wanted to help him change his grip. 
And um, no, he, it felt really good. So it's like, okay, fine, shoot 110 with your comfortable griff if you want to, trying to get him to get beyond that. And so we've been talking about habits. We've been talking specifically about spiritual habits, that if you want to grow spiritually and have a healthy spiritual life, then you also need to be engaged in spiritual habits that are going to produce that in your life. We looked at the aspect of reading your Bible. We talked about how that it brings value to us, specifically in the area of self-assessment, that I read the Bible and I discover the truths about myself, but even more than that, I discover what God, how God feels about me in light of those truths and what he's done for me in light of those truths that it helps me overcome my insecurity to, to know that he loves me, that he's provided a means for my sins to be forgiven and me to be right with him. It overcomes my guilt as I realize that, yes, I stand before God condemned, but he has done something to help me with that. It, it gives to me a sense of significance that I know that I play a role in what he's trying to do in this world. The second week, Luke talked to us about remembering, and we discussed the reality that the Bible says more to us. In fact, it's shocking the amount of times God calls us to remember something versus the times he calls us to look ahead. And that God has created systems and symbols, baptism being one of those that we just talked about, to help us be a remembering people, to never forget. Because if we become a Forgetful people, we can easily feel deprived. We can easily feel like we're treated unfairly. In many cases, at its worst degree, we can become bitter. I think that's also what makes often people arrogant is they forget where they've come from. They forget the things that they've done. And God calls us to remember, and we were challenged to create habits that would help us remember Last week, Luke talked to us about the power of our words and that words have the ability to create in the lives of people life and death. And I'm sure some of you who heard that thought about your own experiences. And maybe you grew up in a world where you could speak to the power of words speaking death into your life and the insecurities that you grew up with and and the hopelessness or all that you went through as people, the power of their words were played out in a negative way. But we also talked about the power of our words to give life. And we were challenged to do that. I thought about uh, Bonnie was uh, flying out to visit our uh, son in Spokane. And Bonnie likes to, when we're on an airplane, she will buy uh, gift cards, $5 Starbucks gift cards, and put them in a thank you note and write a thank you note to the uh, people taking care of us on the plane and then hands that to them. The, the response is remarkable. But she forgot to get them and on her flight from uh, Denver to Spokane, she put a card but there uh, weren't any Starbucks cards in it and she called me from Spokane and she said the response was embarrassing. She said it was so over the top, they just kept coming to me, and then individually, and then all four of them came and gave me the first class food that everybody was getting, they brought and gave it to me, and she said, I felt like the whole plane was looking at me, trying to figure out 
well, who is this person? Is, is she like the uh, wife of the person who owns United, or what's going on here? And I said to her again, imagine what they have to put up with in the course of a, doing their job, that somebody writes a simple, thank you for what you've done. It's been, uh, I've enjoyed my flight a lot, and I appreciate the role you play that they go to that degree. And we were encouraged to think about how we could develop habits that give life to people that encourage them. Today, we're gonna to talk about the church. And I wanna challenge you, wherever you are in your relationship to the church, to think about taking another step, whether that's you're somebody who maybe this is your first time in a church or second time, and you're just trying to uh, kinda of hover around at the edges and figure this out, that maybe you'd give that some time to really think through whether this is something you want to move into, or maybe you're somebody who comes and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should become more involved in, in what is available to me at this church. And ultimately, those of us who are highly committed to the church, I hope today will challenge us to work hard at doing everything we can to build the kind of church that accomplishes what we're gonna talk about here in Columbus. But I love the church. I love everything about the church. I love this church. I love coming at six o'clock in the morning and helping everybody set up and watching people do that. I love the songs we sing. I was thinking there how much Kyle has changed my life. I came from a very traditional sort of church experience, and Kyle has over the years given me the freedom to actually engage in worship. He was at the service leading a song the very first time my hands actually went up in the air, which was a very significant challenge for me. I love the messages that I hear and the changes it gives to me. I love Citigroup. I love to have conversations and get caught up with people I haven't seen. I love to have conversations with people I don't know and get acquainted with them. But I've been on this journey long enough to know that not everybody feels that way about the church, and in some cases, I understand the reasons. And some of you may have spent time in church, and maybe for you, it has felt pointless. And I went, and it was sort of a religious exercise, and maybe you can identify uh, when we talk about, and Luke talks about this a lot, about how that we're not interested in creating religious people who look clean, we're interested in creating people who are becoming more and more like Jesus, but it's, it's just not really been that for you, and you struggle to understand why it is you need to make a regular habit. Some of you today, I talked recently this week with somebody who's just had a horrible experience with the church. And it's just hard for them to think about making it a habit. And, and I'm sure with a group this size that I think there are probably some of you here today that's been deeply hurt by the church. And maybe by a specific people in a church and you've been hurt by their judgment, you've been hurt by their condemnation, you've been hurt by their rejection. It's possible that some of you are here today and you've been hurt by the abuse that you've suffered at the hands of the local church 
And what I want to help you understand is that God loved you so much that he not only provided for you a means to have your sins forgiven and have a relationship with him, he's not only preserved a book called the Bible that you could read it and you could understand how he feels about you, but he's given us this thing called the church. And one of the great heartaches of my life is it's this amazing, wonderful thing that God has given to us and yet at times, even the people who lead them lead it and treat it in such a way that people miss, and sorry, this is kind of an old word, but how glorious it is. The glories of the church are overwhelming, but often we don't see that. And I understand that not every church is the ideal, but I want you to understand that there is an ideal in the scriptures. And what I want to try to help you see is that this is what the ideal is. And help you understand that those of us who have, or on staff have positions, we desperately want to build this ideal. We want the ideal to be here in this in this community at, at, in Columbus so that people will see it and be drawn to it and become more and more like Jesus as it functions the way God told us in the Bible it should function. And so again, I just want to say as you're listening to me and you understand, and instead of looking at what you've had in the past and saying, I'm going to make decisions on the past, but understand that this is what it is, and you're at a place that's new, and as we're young, we can't be everything yet that we're going to talk about, but that's where we're going. And invite you to keep checking us out, if that's you. Invite you to become more committed, if that's the next step for you. And then some of you to leave here more than ever, saying, I want to be committed to be part of helping this church be that. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to necessarily break down the text, but I want to make some sort of uh, overview observations to help you understand what I'm talking about. So open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. If you have a hard copy, that would be, if you're new to the Bible, as all of us once were, you're kind of towards the end, and then you work your way back to the back, I mean to the right, to the left. Uh, if you have a device, you can just type in Titus. If you want to just listen to me as I read portions of it. Titus is a book in our Bible that was written by one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. His name is Paul. And one of the things that Paul did in the early church was he went uh, around uh, the known world at that time and he planted a lot of churches. And so what he would do is he would start a church and then he would place in those church leaders. Titus is written to a young pastor in one of those churches. So Paul is writing to this young pastor and what he's going to reveal to us is what he wants the mission of that church to be, and then he's going to reveal to us his assumptions of what's happening in that church. So look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects, 
reflects wholesome teaching. What he's saying there is exactly our mission statement. He's saying, I don't want you to just teach truth. I don't want church to be about the transfer of information. I don't want it to be about, about making sure that everybody holds correct theological positions and economic decision, uh, positions and political positions and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is that you teach truth and you teach information and you teach content, but you make sure you teach it in a way that the people who hear it understand that this is supposed to result in the way you live. It's precisely why we have as our mission statement, we exist to lead more people to become more like Jesus, and it's why uh, Luke constantly says to us, that he's trying to, he uses the word kill, this idea that more information makes me more like Jesus. It's how we act, it's not what we know. But then I want you to notice something that is very fascinating. And to illustrate it, I'm not going to, uh, he identifies certain groups and he tells Titus, here's what I want you to talk about these different groups, and I'm not going to go into the content because I want you to notice something. Notice in verse 2, he says, this is what I want you to teach older men. And then in verse 3, he says, this is what I want you to teach older women. And then in verse 4, he says, this is what I want you to teach younger women. And then you can see in verse 6, he says, this is what I want you to teach younger men. Now, what he's communicating to Titus is that there's an assumption that within this local church are going to be multiple age groups. And what he's saying is, Titus, understand that in each particular age group, there are unique to that age group challenges Areas where they might stumble, areas where they might fail, areas of temptation that are true at a certain age group that aren't necessarily true of a different age group. But he says there are also opportunities. So I want as a part of your teaching, make sure that you're helping whatever age group somebody is, if it's younger men, help younger men understand what are the challenges of being a young man, a young husband, there are obviously different challenges for me as a husband after 42 and a half years of marriage and some of you who have been a husband for a year. But he's also saying that there are different opportunities for those. And I want, as a part of your teaching, I want what this church to be is, regardless of a person's age group, I want all age groups to understand that. Now he talks about here, he identifies age groups but also in this book, he identifies different sort of uh, roles that people have in the church. Within a church, you're gonna have people that are husbands, you're gonna have a, people that are wives, you're gonna have people that are children. You're gonna have single people, you're gonna have widowed people, you're gonna have divorced people, you're gonna have separated people. But the Bible also talks to us about that we have different economic stations of life within a church. We have poor people who have nothing, and at the other extreme, we have rich people. And within all of that makeup, there are challenges that come, come along with whether you're, what your age group is and what your role is in life and where you are economically. And he talks about, I want you to help them understand what's appropriate 
behavior and thought and work through all those different age groups so that people can understand those things. Now think about the influence that has on church. It means that if you're sitting here in a gathering or you sit in a, one of our classroom sessions, which is where we dig into some other uh, truths and, and uh, skills to develop in more of a classroom academic type setting, that seated around us are people, for instance, who may hear about the challenges of being 63 years old and you're 18. And think how significant that is, that each age group, each role, each economic station becomes aware of the challenges of another one so that I can enter in and be aware of that and be a resource and a help to people in other ones. It means that I'm listening to somebody be challenged about what it means when you're 63 and I'm 23, but I understand this is what's coming ahead for me. And what can I do to avoid those challenges? I had a couple, I was away last week teaching for a week at a Bible Institute and had a couple come up to me and they said, uh, you went to this Bible Institute right after you graduated from high school, right? And I said, yes. And they said, you were dating your wife at that time. I said, yes. And they said, uh, what would you look back on that and give us advice? That's what he's talking about is possible in the church. And I can speak into that and they say, someday we're gonna be hopefully 63 and we're gonna be married to each other going on 43 years but you've walked this road, you've had experience in this role, in this road, and can you speak into that for me? Think about how it helps us overcome our challenges, but it also helps us and forces us to engage in the opportunities. When I was teaching at the university, one of the great opportunities I have is Bonnie and I worked in a we were going to a church and we worked in the young people and I had a group, small group of middle school boys. I think that may be my favorite age group in the whole world. Sorry, every other age group in here, but. And we would meet and we would often talk to each other about challenges in the week and, and we would keep each other accountable and pray for each other and there was one Wednesday night where I thought, you know what, I, I really need to model for these guys. I need to go out on a limb. So I said to the guys, I said, listen, um, there's something in my relationship with Bonnie that means the world to her and it's very significant in her life and I'm not really that faithful and it's really not a hard thing and, and I wanna commit to you guys that I will do this every day and I want you to uh, be praying for me about that. And I said, Bonnie just really loves it when we turn off the light at the end of the day before we go to bed. If I would just reach over, grab her hand, and just quickly pray, thank God for the day, help us tomorrow. I can pray for 20 seconds and say amen. That somehow just in my wife just calms her spirit. And I said, I just don't do it. The next Sunday, I'm not in the church three seconds, and I'm surrounded by middle school boys. Did you pray? Yes, I prayed with Bonnie. In bed at night. Well, no, you said in bed at night. Okay, this week I will do it. Next week, did you pray with Bonnie in bed at night? Yes. 
after the light was turned off. No, you said, pray with Pani every night with the light off. Next week, it's yes, I prayed. I prayed with the light off. Did you hold her hand? Because you said you were going to hold her hand. Eventually, instead of coming to me, they just went to Bonnie. I actually had parents come to me and apologize and say, we're going to talk to our kids that you can't bombard what they really were saying, an older guy in the, in the foyer and start hammering him about things. And I said, please don't do that. Nobody else in my world cared that about me. Where in the world would I be around, regularly around, middle school boys who would develop a love for me and decide they want me to be the best husband I can possibly be, and they're going to build their Sunday mornings around making sure I do that. And they helped me be, develop a habit, and honestly, sometimes I did just because I didn't want to deal with the, what I was going to have to deal with if I didn't. But think about how this can serve teams. Whatever I'm serving in, as we grow and we, we become more and more diverse, that I'm working with people at a different age group and different stations, and we're having conversations, and sometimes those conversations spill into challenges that I'm facing and opportunities that I'm having, and, and we can pray for each other and we could learn from each other. We become part of city groups that Luke was talking about. And, and in that time, I'm having all different age groups of people and all different kinds, and I'm listening to their struggles, and I'm listening to what's going on in their world, how that is, happens in no other place in the world do I have an opportunity to be involved with people in all kinds of age groups and all kinds of roles and all kinds of economic stations in life, anything like the local church. I remember sitting in church at times and being challenged about what it meant to be a father like Jesus, and I'm sitting next to my wife and my children. I can't get that any other place. This is what the church has always been for me. I could talk to you about Jerry Lancaster, a young single businessman in Cincinnati who started to teach our third grade boys Bible class. And I don't know what God did in his heart, but somehow he loved me. And one day he invited me to go to dirt track stock car races at the Lebanon Valley Speedway in Lebanon, Ohio. And that we went all through third grade. He stopped being my teacher, but we kept going in fourth grade. And we kept going in fifth grade, and we kept going in sixth grade, and eventually it got to where we would go to those races on a Saturday night, and we would, I would stay all night at his apartment, and I would get up, uh, and he'd take me to church on Sunday, and I'd come home. I remember when he got married, and I wasn't really excited about that because I knew everything I enjoyed about our relationship was over. I remember the Saturday when there was a knock on the door, my dad came down the hall and said, hey, Jerry's here. And I'm like, what? I thought he got married. <laughs> I went out and I'm like, he's like, come on, buddy. I'm like, uh, I well, uh, and he said, Don't, I'm, I'm married, but hey, it's Saturday. We're going to the Lebanon Valley Speedway. 
And then I got home by the, to his house that night, still took me, and out on the table was all kinds of baked goods, and now I'm thinking to myself, this marriage thing's gonna work out good for both of us. <laughs> I talked to you about Steve Bubar. He was a chef. Hired me to work in the dish pit where he was the chef, but he was also my youth leader. And he would talk to me about how I was doing in that work environment and whether I was being an influence. He had a little two-year-old boy named Benjamin and I loved Benjamin and my buddies would go over to the house and we'd say to him, hey, can we take Benjamin to get ice cream or whatever? And that guy would just say to us, yeah, sure. And as I got older, I thought, what kind of trust does that take? My first summer, that man died and he hasn't been my youth leader for a long time, but I said to Bonnie, I have to fly to Florida. Where am I gonna develop that kind of relationship? I could talk to you about Mr. Larson, who was a retired factory worker. Bonnie and I were newly married in a church and his wife wanted to make sure that Bonnie knew how to cook meals so that we didn't eat the vegetables and then 10 minutes later eat the potatoes and then 20 minutes later eat the meat that she could all figure that out. So she would regularly invite us over for her Sunday dinner and Bonnie and Mrs. Larson would be in the, in the kitchen and her husband and I would be sitting someplace else in the wisdom he would speak into my life. Where am I gonna get that? Where do I find some old couple who's gonna care about us as a young couple? I could talk to you about a man named Dennis Wilhite who was on the pastoral staff when I was a college student and took an interest in me. And I would tell you that that man's influence in my life still to this day, that next to my father, nobody shaped who I became as a person and as a pastor than that guy. Where would I meet him? Where would we have a relationship that would do that? This church has shaped me. In fact, I was speaking at this Bible Institute, and one of my former students who's become a really good friend of mine, he's spoken here before, big Buckeyes fan, he was the guy who came into town and invited me and Luke and uh, some of us to go to the Ohio State Notre Dame game. The first day I taught was Sunday, uh, Thursday morning, I was going to teach three one-hour sessions, and he came in and sat in the front row just to support and encourage me. And I said to him, I said, Tommy, you're going to hear new information, and I'd be curious for you to listen in light of where I've been for the last year and, and hear what's different. I've learned to engage in worship like I never have before. I'm learning to think more clearly about things I believe and why I believe them because of conversations I have with people all over this auditorium. I gain energy from your enthusiasm. I've been challenged to consider different approaches to things. I'm a different man than I was two years ago. A man that I would never ever be today if it were not surrounded by a local church of people who had, a, in this case, everybody in this room probably is at a different station of life than me. In fact, Shaylin's grandmother came to church within the last couple of months and I went up to her afterwards. Shaylin, for those of you that don't know, is Luke who was up here giving announcements, wife, and 
I said to her grandmother, how did you, how'd you like the service? And she said, well, uh, I'm not sure I really like being the, obviously being the oldest person here. And I said, well, you do understand that this is the first Sunday. I'm not the oldest person here. So thank you very much for coming. I would like it if you would come all the time. And yes, I'm looking forward. I pray that God will bring more and more older people and more and more families. But it doesn't mean that this can't happen and has happened in my own life. Now, it doesn't mean, please don't misunderstand me, that we can't ever in the church do group-specific things. We do already. Salt Company is an example. Because there are times when it's great and right and things can be talked about and handled in a, you know, you've got all husbands or all uh, wives or you've got all older people or young people. We do all that, but it doesn't mean that we don't take advantage of all these other things because we tend to be a people who live in such homogeneous groups. And we miss out. It's not that there's anything wrong with me always being around my age group and people who are do what I do for a living, but it's limited in its focus. And God knowing that, that there was benefit and there was all kinds of opportunities for all of these people and all their differences to come together and learn together and worship together and listen together. I want this church to be like that. I want this church to be a church that is everything that God has called this church to be. I want it to reflect the greatness of what God intended this church to be. I want people to understand that this is a place that's different than any other organization or place anywhere in Columbus is the local church where God's people gather. Because this is a place that not only introduces people to what it means to become a follower of Jesus, but it's a place that also helps me then become like Jesus. And the more I'm here, and the more I spend time, and again, I'm an example, I grew up in the church. I'm older than anybody in this room probably, and yet, this group of people, this place, this gathering, this city groups, serve teams that I've been a part of have helped this 63-year-old man become more like Jesus since I've been here than any point in my life. And so can I invite you, if you're somebody who's just checking this place out, keep checking this place out. Go to things, listen, watch, observe, ask questions. If you're somebody who's been coming for a while, great. I would never, ever want somebody to get the message that if you're just coming to the gathering and, and you're not any more involved, that that's somehow negative. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is when you're ready, there is more that we do that can help you more and more. And for those of you that is this church, can I challenge all of us? Let's all be committed 
to make this church everything that God has designed it to be. So that in this community, in this city, this becomes a beacon of not only a place where you can become a follower of Jesus, but a place that once you do, you can become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this assignment to take this subject and be able to reflect again on how glorious, how amazing for you to not only have taken care of my sin problem, not only given me a book so that I could read it and understand it, but created a place unlike any other place that I could come to, that I could be a part of, that would contribute to my life and help me regardless of my age over the course of my life, regardless of the roles that I play throughout my life, regardless of where I am economically, a place that all kinds of other people contribute to my life so that they're helping me become more and more like Jesus. Might this church be everything you want it to be so that more people in this community can understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus but actually become more and more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.